But once in a while, a game comes along our desktops that just grabs hold of our souls and does not let go. Today on the Dual Screens podcast, we will go, we will embark on the journey into video game addiction and what awesome games can do to our free time. Joining us this week is Dylan Gettig, founder of Red Nexus, Red Nexus Games and designer of Peglin, a pachinko roguelike. Now, that is the shortest description ever I wrote for a game on this show. Dylan, welcome. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on board. Uh, Taylor, how's it going, buddy? Uh, I am giddy. I've been talking <laughs> about this game for weeks, and so to be able to chat with you about it today, Dylan, I'm I'm stoked. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, the uh, the response to the release and everything has just blown us away. Like it was so so much more than we were expecting, and uh, you know, we kind of built the game just as like a fun little pandemic passion project, and so to have it like also resonate with players has just been so unexpected. It's so so amazing. So let's get into that. I mean, for those who don't know how awesome your game is or what it is, can you describe for us what exactly is a pachinko roguelike title? Because those two things you think don't mesh together. Those two words don't belong in the same sentence. But here we are just breaking boundaries, doing cool shit with the genre. What is this? Yeah, that description uh, really doesn't do us a lot of favors. And, you know, <laughs> if we were a more like corporate company, there's probably no way it would have been approved just because so many people have no idea what Pachinko even is. Um, but essentially, like if you've played Peggle before or if you know like what Plinko is from The Price is Right, um, you know, basically anytime you're like dropping a ball or a marble into a board filled with pegs and watching it bounce around. Uh, that's pretty much at the heart of like what we've taken as our uh, core battle mechanic. And then the roguelike aspect is just a way for us to like wrap that up and then provide like, you know, interesting power ups and variety when you play the game. Um, so yeah, it certainly doesn't sound like two things that would kind of uh, mash together too well. Um, but we've kind of leaned into like the arcadey side of roguelike design. And I think that's helped us a lot to like combine the two. Now, you mentioned this was sort of a project that was born out of the pandemic. Can you walk us through the inception, the concept of how this game came to be? Were you watching Prices Right one day and you were like, that could be a fun roguelike? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. That's such a like romantic, you know, like if they were to make a movie about the development, that would be like, the big moment price yeah. is right is on in the background i'm sitting there with a pen and paper just watching drew carey do his thing or is it a you bob literally Barker? hear the <laughs> ding 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 you know yeah bounce the idea is bouncing yeah, around in exactly. my brain um no yeah it's a it came from a game jam mm -hmm. um which is where you sit down and you make a game over the course of a, a weekend usually like 48 hours um and but going into the game jam like i really wanted to make something that was fun and physics-y like that was all i really knew uh, and I was going to make something just like Brick Breaker, just like something small, simple. You know, I'd figure out what to do with it on day two once I like whipped up Brick Breaker. Um, but the theme of the jam was fall, 
So it's like, okay, I can still do my kind of brick breakery idea, but I had better like flip it on its head and be using gravity and having things falling. That just kind of makes sense. Um, and then, you know, once we had that in, it was like, well, these square pegs don't work very well. We better make them round. And that's when we kind of like, you know, did a little more research. What is Pachinko? What is, what are we making here? Um, and at the end of the game jam, uh, we still have the game jam game available on itch.io. And it's really fun to go play it sometimes and just like see how far we've come because it is very, very rough around the edges. Uh, but at the end of the weekend, we had like a very basic like Peglin battle. There was no like roguelike progression or anything. Um, you just started with like default, they were fireballs at the time and you know, no special effects or anything. Um, but you know, the, the core of the game is there. And so that was October of 2019. So that was like before the pandemic had really started. Um, but over the next couple of months, we kept on having people like playing it and reaching out to us and being like, what is this? Like, is, are you making more of this? Like, I'd like to play like more levels. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Um, I'd like to play more levels. I'd like to like see more of this. What is going on with development? Um, and so that was kind of a hint of like, okay, players, we clearly have something here. Um, and then in like March of 2020, when everything had kind of like started locking down for the first time, that was when we were like, okay, you know, this is going to suck. There's going to be a lot of like isolation and like a lot of like indoors time. Uh, what are we going to do with that time? Uh, let's bunker down and just try and get something on Steam. You know, like let's uh, let's spend six to eight months just to like make a small, simple Steam game. Um, and that was when the development like really started in earnest. When did you guys open up the scope to include the more like roguelike elements and what were like some of the inspirations for that? Yeah, so after the game jam, like we always knew that we would have to have some kind of like game wrapper because what was there was fun, but it was didn't really have much staying power. Um, you know, we could have gone like the Peggle route and just made like, here's 30 levels that you can beat. Uh, but it didn't really make sense with our like battle mechanic at that point. Like, is it just like each battle is really a puzzle and just, you know, it just, yeah, it didn't, didn't really mesh together. Um, so the original plan was more something like uh, Puzzle Quest. We were going to do like a, a one, like eight to 10 hour RPG that you would play through using this like pachinko battle mechanic. And, you know, you just kind of progress and unlock abilities and equipment and that sort of thing. Um, and I tinkered with that for like a week before it became like very obvious very quickly that if we wanted to just dump like crazy power onto the player, that like RPG format was just not going to work for this. You know, you would just become massively overpowered in like the first hour and then roll through the rest of the game. Um, you know, and that happens quite a bit in our current like roguelike iteration. Mm -hmm. And that's like mostly as designed. Like we want like some percentage of runs to just end with you being this total powerhouse that's just watching this pachinko machine go absolutely insane. Um, and as long as that's not happening, like, a hundred percent of the time and there's still like some strategy and uh some difficulty there uh then it's okay to have that happen in intermittently yeah yeah i love the idea of like a passive roguelike that i can sit back and like just you know touch myself while things go incredibly well for me because <laughs> like i think one of the key things about this game is it's so 
satisfying to play and it's mm-hmm. you're not really like play is such a loose term with this game it's like you're so you're watching the action unfold before your eyes and all of the things chaining and comboing and it just creates this loop in your brain like you want more of this you want to feel had this feeling all the time all day every day mm-hmm. um go into what the initial response was like it's once it was out in the world and in its more current form what the feedback was like and how how that's informed the the next steps for this game for sure um yeah so you know it was always a it was a slow burn to start but there was always something there like i've made a lot of game jam games like you know over a dozen of like varying qualities varying like amounts that i'm proud of them in um but nothing has ever kind of like evoked a response like that initial like peglin demo did uh it was actually called goblin drop back then um and you know so we always knew that like there was there was something because players just kept on asking for like more content for this which doesn't always happen very rarely happens i should say uh for a game jam game um so once we kind of decided to take it on seriously you know not as like a full-time thing but as our like big pandemic side project um that's when we created the steam page and everything started kind of trying to gather wish lists so that we could like you know know that the launch would be x amount of successful kind of with the hope that at some point i could leave my job and then make a full-time go of it because launching a game like on the side is just immensely difficult there's just so many moving parts it requires so much of your time you're practically working like two or three jobs as an indie already so doing that on the side of a full-time job, like I know there are developers that do it and like kudos to them. I hope most of them like take two weeks vacation to do it at least. Um, but yeah, so that was when we kind of started like kind of the marketing side of it, I guess. Um, and, you know, we had our demo up acting as kind of um, an early, like early alpha, I would say. So that had kind of the first area um, and we were developing kind of still the battle mechanics and the roguelike stuff at the same time, um, kind of gauging player interest, working with players a lot. And we just kind of saw it start to snowball over time. Like we would get this player feedback, all of the bug reports, we would kind of iron everything out. Like as far as an alpha went, you know, I would say that we were lighter on content, but like very solid when it came to bugs. Like we've never really had anything that was like, horrible show-stopping bugs um so i think that went a long way but we really started seeing people like recommending the game to their friends and family recommending the game to like their favorite streamers like just like sharing it um at kind of a a crowd level that you know there's no way that we could have done by ourselves um and that's when things really started to kind of you know the pot was really starting to boil at that point so yeah I'll go, go, go ahead. Yeah, go, go I, ahead. I was just going to ask how far from the early access release was that? Like, were you building this excitement like six months ahead of time? Or when, when did you feel like it really was hitting critical mass? Yeah, the big thing for us would have been uh, July of 2021. So probably like eight months before the early access release. Um, and that was like just all in the same month we were like included as like the PAX online indie showcase and in the Yogscast like tiny teams festival and a lot of the Yogscast members just like pumped the game up to the moon it was like really really unexpected but just you know playing it a lot talking about it a lot 
um, repeated mentions like at their festival that they're streaming all time, um, all the time. And that really just like, that was the big tipping point of like, you know, there are graphs you can see of our like steam followers where it's just kind of like not flat, but like just tiny, tiny incline. And then that's our first like big bump. And then from there, there's just like a lot of other, other big bumps after that. Yeah. And I bet you're like, oh crap, this thing that we were doing like as a side sort of passion hobby thing. Now we got to take this thing way more seriously than we wanted to initially. And now it's like, you have to make the game better to live up to that expectation of what all these players want as well. So what's that like as you're, there's an initial vision. Okay. Here's our simple little game, but then like, now there's a fan base, there's a vocal fan base. And how does that feed into the whole, again, the next steps? And does that alter the vision? Does it, does it change the scope at all? What is that process like? Yeah, it's been interesting for sure. Um, you know, there was like definitely like three distinct times where we were sitting down seriously planning, like, could we launch this into early access in two months? And you know, our first attempt at it was like, right after the first area had gotten like quite solid the boss had gotten it's like actual real mechanics there was still only one boss in that area um and you know we thought at that point that we could potentially do an early access release and kind of our developer friends kind of talked us out of it you know they were kind of like your early access release is like you have to treat it as like an actual 1.0 release these days even if that's not like the purpose that you want for it if you're releasing it to like continue gathering player feedback. Um, and we heard that from a lot of developers and I'm really glad that they talked some sense into us because I, I think our launch would have completely fallen flat had we not. Um, so, you know, we kind of like pushed that way out until we had three areas that were all like relatively complete, um, even though there is still like a lot of the game to come. Um, so that, you know, that's been really interesting. Uh, as far as like taking in all of the extra player feedback, um, that was really, really surprising to us. Um, you know, the, the threshold at which Steam had just started like promoting the game internally and having our audience suddenly go from like this self-contained bubble that we had all kind of engaged with in, in some form. You know, like most of them had come and, and spoken in our Discord and provided feedback and bug reports. Um, and now suddenly, like on launch day, having that explode to like three or four times what our initial community was, um, that was really interesting. Like we had to very quickly teach like a lot of people that were very, very excited about the game, kind of like what the game is. Um, and, and that was a bit challenging, you know, like for us, like uh, in our community at that point, it all kind of learned by that, that like, you know, Peglin is, is always going to be a turn-based game. It's very much like you were saying earlier, like, I, I'm going to set up my shot, I'm going to do all the strategizing, and then when I push the button, things are just going to happen. The, the machine is going to run itself, and I'm just going to sit there and watch or be watching TV or whatever, like a very, very, like, chill experience. Right. Um, <laughs> and now you've suddenly got, like, 100,000 extra players being like, I want some active abilities. I want the game to do these things. Like, where's the uh, where's the RPG progression? It's just like, oh boy, like we need to like work very hard to set expectations because that early access label means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. 
And, you know, if we're not very careful with like our, our roadmap posts and how we mm. portray things at the end of this next year, like there's going to be a lot of disappointed people. Um, and I, I think that might happen for us regardless of how carefully we tread, just because like you just, you can't make that many people happy. You know, if, if everyone has kind of this, this different image of the game in their heads, you can't possibly like appease all of those players because you start to run into design decisions where it's like, I've made the game better for this group and now it's worse for this group. Mm. Um, so it almost like reached a threshold of like, you know, we obviously are still super, super receptive to feedback, but we almost reached a threshold of like, just back to our original plan, like make the game that we like originally set out to make um, back to square one and then use feedback as a way to like identify issues that are in the game instead of kind of identifying where the game was going. Uh, where when we had a smaller community kind of as, as we first started development and we're first growing that discord, we could kind of do a bit more like design by committee. You know, there was only like 30 active people putting in feedback and like, this is what I would like out of the game. And we could like take that and be like, yeah, okay, that, that fits in a close enough to our vision that we can make that happen. Um, and at that time, there wasn't enough people that those suggestions were going to make the game worse, uh, if that makes any sense. But that, that's kind of, you know, kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, I'm sure some folks see that early access label and say, I can still fundamentally change this game into what I want it to be because it's still early access. I mean, all bets are off. That's, that's what it, what the, what the optics say, but you, the developer, you have a vision and, but you also want to retain your audience. So you have to weed out the good and the bad, you know, not bad as it, it's, it doesn't fit what we're trying to accomplish with this particular title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been a really interesting kind of balancing act. And, you know, if we had like 10 customers, 10 players that had like paid for the game and somehow that was enough for us to work on the game full time, it's like absolutely we could like design everything to like fit those 10 players like right. asks. But once that like scales out past a certain point, it's just like, no, I'm sorry. Um, and I think this is kind of exacerbated by there being so few games in the genre. Because um, the nice thing is like, you know, there's, there's Round Guard as well, um, which is a, a Peggle roguelike that actually kind of beat us to the market. Um, we had been working on Peglin for three months when they released. And, you know, I was so crestfallen um, for like a day. And it was like, oh, my, my beautiful idea has been, has been snatched <laughs> from my brain. This is horrible. <laughs> Um, but now it's like, it's just awesome. You know, we're in a steam bundle with them. Uh, if too many players in a quick succession come in and they're like, we need active gameplay. I want to be able to do all these things like nudge and, and kill the ball and do all these things while the shot is in motion. Um, we kind of just like are able to push them like, Hey, have you tried round guard? Like, that's like a very like active peggle roguelike, like your character is the ball and you have all sorts of active abilities. Um, so having kind of other experiences that are pretty close to our own makes it easier to kind of like tailor, you know, that, that lets us kind of stake our ground a bit more and be like, we're the turn-based Peggle roguelike, they're the active one. And then that's okay. You know, I'm hoping that a few more pop up and then we can kind of like 
oh, you want like these specific things? Well, I think this game does that. Like, why don't you give that a try? Well, we kind of are working on our updates to, to get closer to 1.0. Yeah, I think that's something that we've seen in like the deck building roguelike genre over the last like five years, you know, as you kind of have Slay the Spire that's created its own niche and then others have kind of like branched off on that to create its own unique space in that area. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about that impressed me so much and why I've been just absolutely glowing about this game is how quickly you guys are like pushing out content updates you guys went into early access on what april 25th end of april um it's now the middle of june and you've put out two content updates so far and from what i saw in the discord a third one is coming very quickly how are you guys able to um you know quickly iterate and turn around some of these ideas that you guys have on your roadmap so quickly after you know such a, a big release on steam early access yeah, um, it's been really nice because the early access release was successful enough for our other developer to quit his full-time job and join us full-time. Um, so, you know, there was a bit of like frantic working around that release for sure. Um, and that was kind of, he put his two weeks notice in, you know, like two mm -hmm. days after the release, after we had seen like, okay, now we can make like a genuine go of it, like be full-time indie devs and get this game to like the 1.0 release that it truly deserves. Um, so that has helped a lot. Like now we've got two people just like, just hammering away on content. Um, we already have like, you know, I, cause it's such a small team. There's only four of us, two of us are like actively developing and then an artist and a musician. Uh, so I'm doing most of the design. Um, so when I'm not like working away on the game, like I always have just like our Trello board on my phone and we'll kind of like tune ideas while I'm on the go. And so when I actually have time to like sit down and work on stuff, I don't have to like do too much planning. I can just kind of like jump right into like, I've already kind of sorted out the potential issues that I could see ahead of time in my head. Now it's just time to like get a like boxed version of this, like, just a, you know, a blank circle to play with the orb, see if it works as well as I think it is. Um, and that speeds things up quite a bit. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, we've been trying to roll out updates as soon as we possibly can as well, because, you know, there's a lot of contention right now around, like, is this game worth $20? Um, and we hear a lot of, like, no, this game is worth, like, $2, and it's like, okay, you've, you've, you've kind of removed yourself from the conversation. That's, yeah. you or, know, maybe if it was a free-to-play game or something, like, leave the that's planet fine. Earth at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we do get a lot of people saying like, you know, if this was a $15 game, I would buy it, but 20 is too much. And, um, you know, those players, like I have a lot of sympathy for, uh, because I, I really agree with them, you know, like two years ago, this would have been a $15 release for sure. Um, and we had some really tough choices to make because, you know, in the past, like three months here, uh, our cost of living has like almost doubled. Like the price of gas has doubled, oh. food has gone up across the board. And we like really had to sit down and be like, how much like do we have to make to be able to continue working on this game? Like to, you know, I was full-time since last August um, and we really wanted to bring the others on full-time so that we could roll out content faster. Um, how much does the game have to make for us to be able to do that and, you know, there's like a very, like, we had kind of expected 
the players that already had like 20 plus hours in the demo to be the first ones to like, those would be the only people that would jump on board. Um, and the numbers kind of lined up with like, you know, you take like 10% of the people that have wishlisted it. So that was kind of like the numbers that we were working with. And it was like, okay, if those people then purchase the game at $20, that's enough for us to like, like finish the game. And if we don't make enough money, we're putting this like really awkward position of like, we still have to finish the game. There's no way that we're going to like abandon it and let it die. Like this is not an option. Um, and we really wanted to avoid that position of where we're, you know, trying to roll out content very quickly with all of us working full-time jobs again, because uh, that was very difficult. Um, so yeah, so there was definitely some, some really tough choices to make there. Uh, so we've been really like cognizant of like wanting to just like roll out as much content as we possibly can. And I have to say like this last update, this update that we're working on currently um, is the largest we've done yet, at least in terms of like new orbs and new mechanics and new, new fun stuff. Uh, but, you know, we've been working on it for like just over two weeks now. And like, I'm starting to get a little itchy. It's like, man, we need to get like something out to players. Like they, they need some new stuff to play with. Um, but we, some of them are just like, they don't make sense without synergy and we need to get those other pieces in place first. Um, so yeah, like we, we are very, very like, we want to get content out as fast as possible. Uh, but some updates like this are going to take a little bit longer, um, especially as we get into like actual big new systems, um, which is not what we're working on now. But yeah, it's it's always nice when you can just like roll out a weekly update and just like keep stuff trucking along, um, but just not doesn't always work that way, unfortunately. You know, you mentioned about, you know, having proper funding and what price point to sell the game at. I'm wondering was the idea of a crowdsourcing or a Kickstarter campaign ever on the table for you guys? Or was it just, let's put it on Steam, early access, and we can get additional funding that way? Or was the thought ever demo, Kickstarting, and then crowdsource like a large pot of money to fund this game well into its development? Was it ever a conversation between you and the team? Yeah, you know, looking back, like hindsight being 2020, like it's still a tough call. Um, it probably, because we got into that wider gaming sphere mm -hmm. um, and they saw like, you know, the amount of content that's available now, like isn't a huge amount. Um, Kickstarter probably would have been a better way to kind of appeal to, to that new player base. Um, but also like our early access launch was so successful and that was mostly driven from the players that had been playing the demo so much and were like, you know, really desperate for new content, um, which is kind of one of the reasons that we decided to, to release as early and as light on content as we were, because it was still three times as much content as was in the demo. And players already had like, you know, we have players with over 100 hours in the demo. Um, so, you know, there's a, certain, there. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a certain subset of players where like $20 is just like, like, of course, like I've already played this game for dozens of hours. Like if you're making three times that content, like, of course, like that's a you know, great deal. Um, and that was really who we were, who we thought would be our first like initial batch. And we thought that, you know, as we continued to work on the game with their continued feedback, then for our 1.0 release, we could kind of try and like, make a bigger a bigger splash out of it um and that just like wasn't what happened at all um, like all the big roguelike streamers like showed up on release day and were streaming the game and everything and 
you know, once you crack into like the Steam, like popular upcoming and everything, like Steam starts showing your game on the front page. Um, so yeah, like we sold more than double the amount of wish lists that we have um, on launch day. And that's just like, I, I, I've read so many postmortems from developers. I've never, ever heard of that. Uh, so for us, it was like we had organized this like party at our house for a bunch of our like close friends. And then next thing we knew, it was just like this complete rager filled with a ton of people. <laughs> and like, you know, now you're suddenly you're trying to like clean up the house still while being a good host and just like a bit of a, a chaotic uh, fire. Um, but, you know, it, you know, it worked really well uh, overall. And, and if we can keep up that content cadence, if we can keep on rolling out good content, then I, I think everyone will end up, you know, being pretty happy and not thinking that like we pulled the rug or anything. Um, but yeah, we were not expecting this at all. Um, so yeah, with that kind of hindsight and like how successful this was, but also like what, how it could have gone, um, Kickstarter probably would have been a good option for us. The only thing is like, if you want to run a Kickstarter campaign, it's going to take one person. It's going to be like their full-time job for a right. month. Cause that's like that you need to be doing your marketing like before and during that like critical window, because if you don't like. 70% fund on day one, then you're probably doomed. Like it's just like Kickstarter is just this, this monster now. Yeah. And there was this like period of golden days where indie games would like get funded quite easily. Um, and after a few like games never materialized, there's a lot like gamers have a lot less faith in that platform now and indie devs on that platform. Uh, so you really, I'm sorry, uh, you really have to dedicate a lot of time there. And, you know, that would have taken a month out of development um, was the big issue. And then the other part of that um, is, you know, we got like insanely lucky with like the Steam algorithms on our release and Kickstarter kind of sucks a lot of the wind out of those sales because like, let's say, you know, you get 10,000 Kickstarter backers that all get a Steam key. Um, those early backers are probably your biggest fans that are going to mm. come in and like leave positive reviews and everything. Um, if they are given Steam keys in the eyes of like Steam, their reviews don't count for anything. Oh, and wow. so now you've only got like, you know, the people that kind of showed up to the party that like saw the game on day one and have all of these expectations that haven't had time to like play the demo and simmer and figure out what the game is. Now those are your only reviews. And like Peglin would have launched to like mixed for sure had we then done an early access launch like around the same time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of risks around Kickstarter for indie devs for sure. So the path to early access, um, obviously you guys had like a really incredible plan and the Steam um, algorithm really played in your guys' favor. How do you maintain that momentum through 1.0? Like, uh, obviously you mentioned you have to be very detailed with your roadmap and your guys' roadmap on Steam is like very well outlined, but what else do you have to do on the back end to make sure that you kind of like keep that momentum going forward? Yeah, I think like we're really lucky enough um, to have the support of a lot of uh, like all of the biggest roguelike streamers. Um, and you know, there's a really good synergy between like roguelike streamers and roguelike developers because the streamers obviously like always need new content to kind of show off to their viewers. And the developers are just like hungry for eyes. Um, 
So as soon as we had that early access release and kind of saw how it was going, like I completely took my foot off of the like marketing gas. You know, I, I've been trying to do all these things as, a, as an almost solo developer at that point, because it was me and the other developer working part time, um, trying to do all these things that were kind of eating into development time. And it became apparent very quickly that like our best like marketing at this point was just more content for the game. Like the more that we release, the more that people are going to play it and share it. And, you know, if you have even like a hundred people that are like, that's actually a big number. Let's say you have a dozen people that are like really excited for the content and are going to like, you know, go and post on like Facebook and Twitter and Reddit. Like that's already like 12 times the amount that you could do as a solo developer. Like you're just one person. And so like getting your audience on your side in that, that way is just so, so important. Um, yeah, and it became apparent very quickly that like on such a small team, like marketing was just no longer a good use of my time. Um, not when it directly contrasted or conflicted with like getting more stuff into the game for players to play with. You guys do this really fun thing uh, with all the names of your orbs uh, where they're very punny. You've got like the, the all orb nothing and stuff like that. Um, I was curious when the Morbius is coming. <laughs> um, so I, I don't want to get too close to like Morbius, uh, both because like, you know, we don't need you don't want to invoke Jared company. Leto to like film yeah, a job we or don't something. Need, like another big company with like their, their eyes on us uh, yeah. potentially. <laughs> And then also, like, I don't think the meme is going to age well, but that's hard uh. to say. Um, but I, I can say that the next update will have an orb called the Morbid Orb, which is uh. like our, just a little nod All towards right. yeah. it. It's We're close in the enough. neighborhood, you know. Yeah. 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 Listen, We're in the ballpark, <laughs> um, but not, not a direct Morbius orb right there. Sure. Uh, unless you're gunning for like a Sony acquisition at some point, then you lean in hard <laughs> on, the, on the Morbius references. But yeah. on the note of the orbs, what is that process like? Is there like a dedicated like orb brainstorming session throughout the day? Like how do you all conceptualize what the orbs do, what their functions are, what they're named? What is that process like for a team of four? Um, yeah, it's just me, really. I don't think anyone <laughs> has uh, suggested any other orbs. Um, it's kind of like, you know, known that because uh, when we started the project, like I was a software engineer um, at a gaming company, but like making mobile games. And I would provide like design ideas and like nobody would listen to anything. I'd get like a fight nod, like, hey, that's that's cool. And it's and, you cute, know, buddy. Like, ranging yeah, from cute. like new content, but also just like, this doesn't feel fun to me. Here's one suggestion for how we might fix it. And just still like, you know, you're not a designer, like stay away from that. Um, so Peglin was really a way for me to like stake my claim and be like, I am a designer and I'm going to come and design this game. Um, and our teammates uh, kind of knew that um, and were more than happy to kind of like, let me take on that work. Um, so it's worked out really, really well for, for all of us. Kind of lets me, you know, strap like, strap, uh, sketch those itches that like I, you know really wanting to make a game um and if they have any suggestions like i'll happily like take them in i know like uh one of my friends really what our musician um who's also a friend really wanted like some kind of like chalice relic just like has some in jokes with his friends based on like the old bloodborne like chalice runs and yes. how roguelikes should have mm -hmm. a chalice um, and it's like, okay, you know, that, that can be done. I can, I can take that. We'll figure out something that like, what would a chalice do? What could that do for you? 
Um, so Adam, if you're listening to this, the chalice is also coming next next update. Like that's going to be there. Um, I love yeah. it. Your team is getting updates <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, he already. Right. Hey guys, just, I'm buying a yacht. <laughs> Screw you. I'm leaving. It's up yeah, to you. I'm just going to link them to this and be like, listen to it all the way through, you know, ping yeah. me when you find it. Um, but yeah, so the content uh, for us, it kind of comes from like a couple of different directions. Um, one is like mechanically, like we, I have this mechanic in mind either because it would be kind of fun on its own or because it would synergize like super well with something else that's already in the game. So there you're kind of like starting with the mechanic and building out from there. It's like, okay, what could, what would, what name would match this kind of thing? Like, you know, the dag orb, I wanted something that would do a ton of damage on crit. Daggers are good for backstabbing, easy peasy. Um, another angle is like coming from the naming side of like, I have a name in mind, what would this thing do? And that was kind of like the all orb nothing and the, the Morbidor, the Morbius were both kind of like, I have these names of like, this would you know be a good name. It works pretty well. What mechanic would that do? So you know, all or nothing. It's like if you don't hit a crit, you do no damage. There's just nothing there. And then uh, the Morbidor, it's kind of a a, a little teaser coming up, um, but it actually like activates uh, already popped pegs as it flies through them. So it's kind of like you know that morbid curiosity, kind of oh. bit of necromancy in there. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of come, came from the name and we found a mechanic that kind of worked with it. Yeah. Very cool. Do you have a favorite orb? Like, do you have a baby that you just treasure above all else? Uh, I'm, I'm always rooting for the underdogs. So in the existing content, like the Omega orb is like, yeah. I love that orb so dearly. And like, it's pulled me through a couple of crucible uh, runs where it's like, I just need damage now. And I don't care about like damage later on. Like I just, I need enough to finish off the Minotaur before he smacks me. Yeah. Um, so I really, really like that orb, but I have never heard a player say anything good about it ever. <laughs> it is always like, <laughs> I hate this. Like there's, there's numbers, bad numbers on my screen. Like that's not good brain <laughs> chemical. I can't like, it's just no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely my favorite. And uh, relics are very similar. Like there's mm-hmm. a, the poker chip that you get and like uh, we'll never force the poker chip on anyone because you know it has that potential to just make your attacks do zero damage we'll never force that on anyone you have to like opt in very explicitly like i will risk the the two health to flip this coin um and so that's one of my favorite relics but uh that one we also get a lot of ire of. i think a lot of people like get a, a big zero attack on an attack they needed and I think they alt tab into the Discord right away to be like the poker chip sucks. The poker change the poker chip. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, oh, I was gonna ask just because you mentioned it. Um, you know, ire from the fans. I want to know why the Minotaur is such a bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Minotaur has had such an interesting evolution over time. Um, he was introduced at a time when like we had just like invented or like implemented the long pegs the brick pegs i guess um and all of our other forest maps were like very sparse like very traditional like uh, like pachinko boards or plinko boards where it's just like you know there's just like so much empty space and you're like really trying to bounce between them and the Minotaur was kind of one of our first maps where we were like, well, what if things were a little denser? And so when we rolled out the Minotaur, like, like the players that had been playing the demo up to that point were like, 
like thrilled. They were so happy that like, you know, it's a little bit denser. Um, it's still like got the typical, just like, like sparse base, but like all the stuff in the middle, you can really bounce around a lot. Um, but compared to the pegboard design as it's changed over time, like the Minotaur is like this really like archaic, old, really tough design now. Um, so yeah, that we do hear a lot of feedback about that for sure. Um, and the difficulty like is roughly where we want it because there are so many things that you can do to like, like trip the Minotaur up, you know, because he only attacks every second turn, that's easier to like get buckler use on him. He can be brambled and stopped. Like there are a lot of counters to the Minotaur. Um, so the difficulty is roughly where we want it, but we will be updating the pegboard at some point. Oh, so good. the Minotaur will probably get like a huge swack of health added on, but the pegboard will also kind of be created to be one of the new modern pegboards um, and take a lot more, you know, uh, use the long pegs a lot more effectively, be a lot more fun to actually generate slides and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one for sure. I've I've had many early crucible runs fall to the hands of the Minotaur, so I'm I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into some community questions, courtesy of the Pegalin Reddit board, such great guys over there giving us some good stuff to go with. Uh, what has been one of the most challenging things to make a game that looks so deceptively simple? Um, it's definitely the, the layers of content. Um, one of the things that we're like kind of getting to now is, you know, we tried to keep everything pretty simple and we really wanted the complexity to come from like, like, here's a simple block, here's a simple block, here's a simple block. And the complexity comes from like how they interact with each other, you know, like this just gives you plus one on each peg. And if you have something that can hit like two pegs in one shot, like, there you go, there's synergy. That's great. Um, but we've kind of reached a point now where there's like almost the complexity of like a Magic the Gathering set. And we've had to start like really dabbling into like keywords and, um, you know, like avoiding edge cases where it's like, well, this thing says it does it every time it hits a peg, but this time this thing also works when it like does it with this other, you know, um, interaction. Uh, so one of the things that we're still kind of struggling with and are going to be doing like a really big pass on right after this next update is um, just trying to bring that all in to be uh, consistent and then also well explained to especially new players. Um, you know, I really, really want to avoid having like an in-depth tutorial to like explain things because on the surface level, like we've, we've kept the core mechanics pretty simple um, and I really don't want like novels of like mechanic interaction that you have to understand to play the game um, so that's kind of like a, a tightrope that we're walking right now um, and I, I think we'll find a good balance just by like you know creating like three core interactions of like when something is hit like it's physically collided with when it's activated which is like happens when you hit it, but also with things like chain lightning or splash effects, um, and then being popped, which is like where it's actually removed. And then making sure that everything kind of plays within those buckets. So there's a lot less guesswork when you throw out an orb and it's like, I don't know if this is going to kill me. I don't know if it's going to interact the way I think it's going to. Um, so that's been pretty challenging for sure. 
have to ask, is the sun directly in your face? It is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like very, very cloudy when I like... down. And then next thing I knew, there was just like a nice little window. And now there's just no clouds in the sky. It's like I have no idea. Beaming. <laughs> Yeah. All right. You look glowing. I'm, I'm getting absolutely sweaty. glowing. You have that indie dev glow, that yeah. successful indie dev glow of you. <laughs> All right. Let's, today. let's yeah. There we now, go. Let's chop into some uh, community questions here. This comes from Superfish. How much world building lore exists behind the scenes for Peglin? For example, who are the people of the castle, and why is Penglin trying to get to the caverns slash defeat the boss there um there's a moderate amount you know it's been really like created as we've needed it more or less but um we do have like an internal kind of lore bible uh that kind of talks about things and you know we don't want to release anything that's going to like directly um oppose or conflict with anything else mm -hmm. So there is that, and we do want to provide players like a few more peeks into that world and how things work. Um, but we're trying to figure out kind of the best way to do that because you know some players would be happy if like this was kind of a D and D campaign and there was mm. tons of story and you worked your way through it. Um, and other players like don't even read the text for the first time. They're like, <laughs> "Oh, a fireball! I'll take it. That's good. Thumbs up. On our way." Um, so trying to kind of find the middle ground for that. Um, or ways that you can, you know, kind of dive into the story at your own pace, um, which can be a little tricky in like a, a roguelike structure that we've got. Um, yeah, so we, we do want to kind of provide a bit more of a peek behind the curtain there. And that's hopefully something that we'll do uh, when we introduce things like our, our Encyclopedia, um, which, you know, you know, it's going to have information about uh, enemies and orbs and relics. Um, and that should allow us to provide a little bit more flavor in there. Because um, I think we've got some, you know, interesting stuff that just you wouldn't know in the game. There's just nothing like, why do the signs use swords? Oh, there's lore for that, but we don't explain that yet. Uh, another lore question. Uh, Say the Alphabet asks, at the early stages of the game, there was talk of a dragon boss who, lore, stole all the Peglin's orbs. So you, Peglin, went out to bring them back and fight the dragon. Is that idea scrapped or do you plan on adding it as another campaign? Yeah, it won't be another campaign. Um, the dragon will either be one of the mines bosses or the final like secret um, optional boss that you have to kind of uh, unlock by doing things throughout your run. Um, yeah, that one really bit me because I wrote the Steam page like way back in March 2020 <laughs> when we weren't like sure, you know, we kind of knew like Forest Castle Mines. Uh, we weren't sure what the, the bosses would be yet. Mm. Um, and we do have a boss or like a design for a dragon boss. So it's there. We don't know what we're going to do with it yet. And when we introduce it, we may do a bit more of like just a very short, simple cutscene. Like the first time you play, like here's what happened. Here's why you're kind of going in just show the dragon swoop in steal the gold take off um and then kind of deal with that once you beat that optional boss but uh yeah that's been you know that that, that is one paragraph of lore on the steam page <laughs> and we get asked about it like quite a bit quite a lot you did it to yourself all right uh <laughs> i really did <laughs> and lastly i love this name potato killer 8897 asks 
Are you the type of person to upgrade or heal before a boss fight? Oh, it definitely depends on the boss. Mm. Um, I usually <laughs> go for the upgrade because like, you know, once you beat the boss, you're going to get fully healed. Like, that's awesome. Um, so those permanent upgrades are like, you know, upgrades for the rest of the run definitely latch into my brain um, a bit more than, than the heals. Um, but there's some times when you just need to, to take the heal. Uh, especially after the recent change to the ballista where it fires turn one. Uh, that was a very, very controversial change. Um, so, you know, you have to make sure that you're ready to eat 35 damage right off the bat. Uh, yeah, so it, it depends, but I lean towards the upgrades for sure. I think I'm the same way. Fuck it, I say. <laughs> <laughs> it's killed me a few times, definitely. But you got to risk it. You know, it's a game about risking it. All righty. And with that, Dear listeners, it is time to delve into Rapid Fire to learn more about our guest and what makes him the developer he is, the human being he is deep down in his soul. We're going to ask you the hard-hitting questions on the segment. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. First question. It is the always question on this show. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? I'm going to go with yes. Like, personally... I'm not like, you know, huge on it, but like, okay. you got to do, you know, I don't begrudge other people for doing it. Got it. Should I, should I keep these to yes or no? Should I explain yeah, sure. or you just can, like, listen, if you yeah. want to, if you want to explain yourself, <laughs> you're more if, than welcome yeah. to. If you need I just, to you know, explain if I, if I leave that one hanging, yeah. exactly. Yeah. If I leave that one hanging, there's going to be hate mail in the Discord later. <laughs> <so>. Yeah, <laughs> fair. Uh, why is your dog so cute? that's a great question she just is uh we you know we saw a picture we went and like like looked at her to be like should we get this puppy and it, it was like immediate it was like yes we cannot yeah. leave without this puppy there's no way which is cuter my dog or his dog taylor oh his dog by a mile <laughs> what kind of what kind of dog do you have i'm curious now uh shiba inu oh and she's only inu. seven months so she's got the she's got, oh, the puppy she got that box. puppy charm yeah oh, yeah okay. yeah we got she's, her she's uh, Partway through Peglin development. So she's really like a, a Peglin baby. God, yeah, he, he posted a thread on Twitter the other day of a bunch of pictures, and I was just like gushing the entire time. <laughs> Freaking cute dog. <laughs> um, would you rather have shoes made of Lego or clothes made of kiwi? Like the fruit hmm. kiwi. Not the if I had the clothes made of kiwi, like I'd probably eat them. And that would lead to some issues. Mm, oh, I love kiwis. I think I'd do the shoes made of Lego because I think like, you know, if you're walking on the flat part of them, probably not too bad. Mm-hmm. You don't get to pick which side you walk on them. You walk on the messed up side. <laughs> okay, I will take the kiwi clothes <laughs> and then, uh, bribe a cop if it comes down. <laughs> If the go. clothes are no longer there, we'll, we'll figure that out later. What's your favorite game of all time? Uh, I got to go with Final Fantasy Tactics. Wow. Oh. He was one. quick on the draw in that one, too. I know. And, I, and I, you know, I, I was waffling behind the scenes because sometimes I say Star Ocean 2, which is another just like another PlayStation game. JRPG favorite. But yeah, Final I, Fantasy see, Tactics. I see a trend. Cool. I like Perfect that. Game. Maybe your next project to a roguelike JRPG. Put that here. We've been thinking about it. Put that sure. in there. <laughs> Would you rather live next to an active volcano or a poorly secured prison? Very poorly secured with, prison. 
That is a tough one. Yeah, I'd go with the prison. Yeah, I think there's like less chance of dying. And then even if you do, maybe you end up on one of those like podcasts, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal murder and right by the prison. It'd make for a good one. (laughs) He made a game called Peglin. It was his last (laughs) thing he ever did. (laughs) What has been your favorite bit of Peglin fan art? Mm. Oh, I think I still have it pinned on my Twitter. Uh, but somebody made this like incredible like pseudo 3D um, like Peglin and Tunic crossover. And it appeared like maybe two weeks after I had beaten Tunic and had a great time with it. So that was just like, there are people that think that we are in like the same even realm as Tunic, this like incredible indie game. Like (laughs) that just like both melted my heart and it is just like adorable to look at. It just checked all the boxes. You know, I got to make a mental note. Thank you for that, Taylor, to make all of our guests do a Google search for their game with the safety filters turned off for the <laughs> image search, like Peglin fan art. <laughs> we have had some very dicey questions asked in our Discord for people trying to suss out like Rule 34 art. And it's like, I'm just going to pretend oh, for both of our sakes. Of that all I the games. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, there's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, those kind of fantasy creatures have been around long enough. Mm. They all have their audience. He's been through some stuff. Uh, What is a household chore that you dread doing the most? Um, I don't know if I have one, really. Mm. Like, we we split them up pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, vacuuming is kind of my my duties. And she cleans bathrooms. Um, I clean the kitchen most of the time, so... Yeah, we've kind of found our, our niches where I don't think there's anything that either of us super hate, uh, which is good. She also like doesn't love a lot of the dog tasks. So that oh, earns nice. me a okay. lot of easy bonus points that I just don't really care about. I like there that. I've picked up poop before. It's, it's yeah. no big deal. <laughs> What's your favorite fast food? So there used to be this burger place um, and like so I, I lived in Victoria and I moved, uh, which is on the West coast of British Columbia. And I moved to the interior um, and there's no real like fast food directly around us, which is heartbreaking. Um, but there used to be a place right around the corner from my house. That was just like this kind of authentic, like burger shack. Um, and just like their burgers were great. Their poutine was great. And they had amazing milkshakes. Uh, it was called Big Wheel. So I, I have to go with that. Uh, what first world problem do you have? So this one's going to be, you know, really kind of, yeah. should you say that? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's kind of the, the game <laughs> has been so successful um, that we've suddenly had to jump through like a shitload of bureaucracy to like avoid taxes not avoid but like you know minimize taxes right uh, make sure everyone gets paid like now like this was all just like a friendly agreement on the back of a napkin of like we'll share the profits everything will be fine now there's you know <laughs> lawyers involved not because any of us like hate each other but just because like you know we're dealing with like five years of salary that we now need cover to, your like, ass cover right. exactly um and that has spent like so I went from like working full time on the game, working like it as a, like two jobs. And now I'm working like a f- one full time job is just like business bureaucracy stuff. And the other is working on the game. Um, and we don't really have a nice clear way to like get rid of that section yet. 
Um, so that is my current like first world problem. It's like the government just needs to go away for a little while. <laughs> let me keep making the game and then we'll figure out all your loopholes and regulations and all your BS like a little later. Give me some time, you know, let me finish my shit. First. Yeah. Speaking my language, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to bring it home. We have the same final question for every single guest that appears on the show. It's the most important question. And I need you to answer without thinking just as quickly as you can. The first thing that comes to your head. Okay. This is going to be a unique one. This is the first time we've asked it in this iteration. Okay. Andy or Taylor? Oh, oh, that's harsh. You can't do that to me. Um, Andy, you get the tipping point because our dogs could play together. Uh, I, I just didn't flex my dogs. I have two big dogs as well. Oh, it's too late you now. Should have, you should have brought them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's on you. That's not on You're me. right. You're oh. right. Oh, I think I want... that's my first loss, Andy. So thank you, Dylan, for breaking Taylor's streak. He is not, he is no longer invincible to that question because uh, he was going in strong he's only done mm-hmm. his third interview podcast on this show ever he's like a little you know bring him i, in I do our other shows yeah, yeah yeah of course but when he loves the game he's like i gotta be a part of the interview so yeah. he probably thought oh it's a lock i got it <laughs> three, three i wrote an article specifically addressing nah. an issue that came up on your subreddit did, a lot about you know why favors. people should give you twenty dollars <laughs> and it's for nothing uh, Dylan, thank you so I'll much. Rewind a bit. Rewind a bit. Yeah, no. from the podcast. Well, that will bring us to the end. Dylan, thank you so much for coming on this week. Your game is amazing. We love it. And everyone else should love it and pay 20 bucks plus more. Go read my article on the site yes. titled Why Peglin Deserves Your $20. And then mm-hmm. go to Steam and give them $20 and play the game. <laughs> yeah thank you both so much um yeah and if you don't think it's worth 20 dollars yet like you know we'll be discounting it more and more and there will be more and more content eventually there will be like the perfect point for somebody to jump in but if you buy it now like you can just be playing it until that point happens you could win the lottery and stop making this game now and there'd be enough for me to still think it's worth 20 dollars in this game that's how that's how good it is (laughs) Dylan, right. where can people find you? Um, Twitter is probably the easiest, uh, just at Dylan Gettig. Um, that's where I'm probably most active when it comes to game development. And then other than that, uh, really easy to reach in our Discord, uh, which is linked on the Peglin Steam page and in the Peglin demo and game. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Taylor, Dylan, it's been a blast. Everyone go by Peglin. And as always, please be excellent to each other.